Hey, welcome again to Big Valley. Welcome all of you over in uh, the venue. Glad you're with us over there. Thank you, uh, uh, all of the staff that serve over there, leading music and all the stuff. I'm just grateful for all of you. And again, if you're watching online, I'm glad you're with us. Maybe you're on the radio right now. Uh, blessings to um, all of you. So here's the deal. I want everybody to take their Bibles, okay? Got your Bibles? Let me see them. Put them in the air. Got your Bibles? Come on, lots of Bibles out there. Yeah, I see a few smartphones. And make sure you just have your Bible on that. Okay? I don't want anybody checking emails and things like that. Here's the deal. Uh, we are in, uh, you can turn it to Romans chapter 4. Okay? We're in a series where we're going through the book of Romans together as a church family. If you're visiting with us, we've just finished up Romans chapter 3, which is basically the, the first large section of the book of Romans, uh, which uh, Paul lays out the problem that we all face and that problem is sin. And now as we get to Romans chapter 4, the end of 3 and now 4, we enter into the second major section of Romans, and that is the solution to the problem, and that is uh, Jesus. And it's important that you have a copy of the Word of God on your own. If you don't own a Bible, you can go into the altar room when we're done. You can go into the altar room over in the venue. You can come down to the church on Monday, and we'd love to put a Bible in your hand. It's one of the things that we love to do. We give away lots and lots of Bibles. In fact, Karen Fulmer, one of our administrative assistants, is right down here. And last week, she was in my office, and we purchased uh, a whole lot of Bibles, but not for us. We purchased a whole lot of Bibles for other churches in our town, smaller churches that don't have the resources that we do, but they want to hand out the Word of God also to new visitors or new Christians in their family. So we bought a whole lot of Bibles just so that other churches in our community can hand out the, 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 the Word of God. And we can only do that because you're, you're a generous group of people. You, you care deeply about Jesus. You care deeply about His Word. Now, now here's the deal. Let me just take a second here. Many of you are here and you know the Lord, but you don't have the scriptures with you. Now here's the deal. Everybody here went to school. Some of you even went through college. And probably when you went to your math class, you had to have your math book, right? You went to physics, you had to have your physics book. You went to history, you had to have your history book. But for some reason, we believers at times think we can come to the classroom, if you will, and we don't need the textbook. You, you, you need to have the Word of God with you. In the culture we live in, it takes you, I don't know, 20 seconds to download an app. Then you just press on the button, swipe four times, and you're at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. You see, here's the deal, folks. This is an important moment for everybody. God wants his family to gather together and hear from God and his word. No doubt about this is an important moment. But it's only an hour and a half in a 168-hour week. And you need to have the word of God on your own and learn how to study it on your own because there's going to come a moment when something horrible is going to happen in your life. I don't know, maybe you'll lose a loved one. 
And at that moment, I can't lead a Bible study for you. You may not be able to get a hold of a pastor, which means you got to open the textbook and get into the Word of God on your own and let the Word of God minister to you on your own. Maybe you're going to get a a report, a health report. They're going to find a lump where there shouldn't be a lump. They're going to find a dark mass on a, on a, you know, an x-ray where there's not supposed to be a dark mass. And guess what? I can't show up at your home and lead you in a Bible study. Neither can any of the other pastors. You're going to have to open up the textbook on your own and dig into the word of God on your own and find comfort from God on your own because you have your own Bible and you know how to get into it because here's where we find comfort, peace, the answers to, to, the, to the things of life. And so I want to encourage you. You come to church on the weekend and you name the name of Christ. You know, there were a lot of Bibles that went up last night, lots of Bibles. This is a church that brings their Bibles. But I just want to encourage you. Have a copy. If you don't have one, you've got no excuse. We'll give you one. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give you a copy of the, 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 the Word of God. Okay, so Romans chapter 4. Okay, now before I get into this, if you're visiting with us, one of the things we do here at Big Valley Grace is we, um, we have a, a video. We just grab somebody in our church uh, family and say, hey, tell us how the Lord is using you at your job, in your neighborhood, or whatever. How are you, you know, living out the faith? And this week, we're, we did something special. We asked one of our global partners, Luke uh, Grover, if he would film something and send it to us. And so this week's Not Ashamed video is one of our own people, one of our own kids, grew up right here at Big Valley Grace, is one of our global partners. Check out the, the Jumbotrons. My wife Amber and I met at the Big Valley College Group in the early 2000s. And after a few years, we started dating. And at some point in our dating relationship, I happened to mention that I was not interested in the white picket fence life. Now this somewhat surprised her and I'm not sure I knew what it meant, but it was somewhat prophetic because here we are, missionaries in Africa. Now the journey to this point started about 12 years ago when I got involved with the missions department at Big Valley. And through it all, I began learning about God's heart and love for the nations. In Genesis, God tells Abraham that he was blessed to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations in the Great Commission. And in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, we see people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping before the throne. So we got involved in missions and asking the Lord how we could be used for his glory. And over the years, we saw him use us in many ways, even in our weakness. And finally, in the year 2014, God called us to go overseas ourselves. So here we are in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, on the coast of East Africa. Dar es Salaam is one of the fastest growing cities in the world. It's large, it's crowded, it's very dirty and polluted, but it's filled with friendly, beautiful people that need to meet Jesus and to know Jesus. There are Muslims here, Christians here, Hindus. There's a lot of witchcraft, animism. There's a lot of religion here, but there's not a lot of gospel. Our vision and our work is to be involved with the encouragement and growth of gospel-based multiplying churches. And we want to partner with these churches and national partners in order to bring the gospel to unreached peoples. Now to get to this point, there's a lot that we had to give up, a lot of things we had to sacrifice. We've had to leave being with family and with friends. Uh, we had to realize that there's, there's things that our children are not gonna experience or have here. 
And for me personally, as a man, as a father, as a provider, I gave up a job, I gave up a business that I was a part of. That was difficult, but it's been fulfilling because I realized that God was calling me to a different identity, something that He wanted me to do for His kingdom. Recently, Amber and I had the privilege of being a part of the Kids Club ministry here with our team. At this club, kids come from Muslim and Hindu backgrounds, and they get to play games, do activities, and hear Bible stories starting from creation and going all the way to the resurrection. Now, the group of kids that I had, I was able to tell the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, the gospel. And it, I realized that these kids had probably never heard this story before. And I thought to myself, what if we had not been here? What if our team wasn't here? Would they have heard? Our sacrifices pale in comparison to the realization that they get to hear the gospel, the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I encourage you to think about the bigger vision that God has for you. I encourage you to think about what you can give up, what identities you could give up in order to take on the identity that God is calling you to. And I encourage you to think about how He can use you, even in your weakness, for His kingdom. Because the gospel is good news, and the kingdom is for eternity. My name is Luke Grover, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is salvation for all peoples, from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Come on, man. That don't make you smile. That don't put joy in your heart. Nothing's going to, Christian. To think that some family right here grows up, they sense a call from God, and when that little basket went by you a moment ago, and you honored the Lord with a piece of your wealth, we're able to do things like that. We're able to help pay his salary and all those kinds of things so he can go to a place that you can't even find on a map and tell people about Jesus Christ. And not everybody's supposed to go. But here's, the, here's what I told the, the family last night. Some of you, though, are supposed to, and you know it. God has been calling you for years, maybe decades. And fear has just kept you glued to your seat. And yes, you've been doing good things for the Lord. You've been serving the Lord here and there and wherever. But you know, you're supposed to do what he did. You just know it. I can guarantee you, you make a phone call to Roger Swear, our global reach pastor, and just say, Roger, I, I don't know what's going on. I was sitting in church and God's doing something in my life. Now, it took them a long time to be trained to go. I don't know, 12 years. So it's not like if you give him a call, he's going to send you out the door tomorrow to pack your bags and go off to Tanzania. <laughs> but a process can start. Next week, we begin three weeks of something special around here. Uh, we call it our REACH Conference. And uh, it's going to be really, really great. You know, one weekend, we have all of our global partners here or not all of them, but a lot of them will be here. Then one week we have all of our local partners that are here and we get to meet them and interface with them. It's gonna be a, a really special uh, time. And one of the things I'd like to invite you to do is when we're done here, you go right outside these doors and you can meet up with some gals out there. We have a brunch coming up 
for all of our uh, global uh, or those global partners that are here and local partners that will be here for the wives. And obviously, it's a women's event. We'd love to have you here. It's uh, October 22nd. It's 9 to 11 o'clock over in the venue. And all you got to do is pick up one of these cards. And on the front, this one says beans, rice, and oatmeal. And that, that, that gets you in. Some of them might say diapers. Some of them might say something else. And you bring that to the brunch. And then obviously, that stuff is distributed uh, to uh, our partners and all of that. But man, you ought to be there, gals, just to come and not only be an encouragement to them, which you will be, but I guarantee you uh, the Lord will do something in your life too. And so go out and pick one of these up and be a part of our women's brunch. And here's the deal, Roger, I couldn't stand it. I had to do it last night. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you more detail on it next week, okay? This is, this is really exciting. Okay, our missions conference, our REACH conference isn't just come and hear a bunch of stuff, and not that that's bad, but we, we want to really make a difference. And so uh, we got this great idea. Another young family from our church, the Campbells, went to work for Wycliffe Bible Translators recently, and Wycliffe goes out and they make sure uh, they find groups of people that don't have the Word of God. There are people groups out there that don't have the Word of God. They don't even have one book of the Bible, not one book of the Bible. They don't even have a language, and because they don't have a language, how in the world can you write even a, a book of the Bible? I, I, I've got 10 Bibles at home and 10 different you know, versions. I, I got 30 different apps on my phone. We have access to so many Bibles. Some of you didn't even bring your Bible, yet there are some people in the, in the world who don't have a Bible. They don't know the Word of God at all. Think about that. And we work with some people in India. Have some missionaries in India, and they're there doing their best to preach the gospel verbally because there's no Bible. They cannot read the word of God on their own because they do not have the Bible. And so people just have to preach it, and they get to hear it on a Sunday. Well, guess what? That ain't good enough for the people of Big Valley Grace. We want to make sure that they have a book of the Bible. And so what we're gonna do, starting next week, you're gonna be able to come, we got a big, huge board. And it's got Romans chapter one, verse one. Romans chapter one, verse two. One, three, one, four. Every single verse in Romans. And we, you're gonna go out and you're gonna pick a verse. You're gonna put your name on it. You're gonna buy that verse. And when it's all said and done, we are going to give the money to Wycliffe. They're going to create a translation in the dialect there in India. And we are going to send them, for the very first time, a copy of one book of the Bible, the book of Romans. And I am so excited about this, I, I, I can't stand it. And we're going to give you more details on how that will work. But imagine Big Valley Grace, little podunk church here in Modesto, California, a pinhole on a map. Because we're not ashamed of the gospel, we are going to get the gospel, put it in a language people can understand, give it to our missionaries, and they're going to show up saying, not only can I preach it to you, but for the very first time, here's a copy of a piece of the word of God. Let me tell you something. We'll never meet those people on planet Earth. But there will come a moment when we will see them in heaven. And I have no doubt we'll have a lot of people coming up to us saying, thank you. Thank you that you sacrificed a few of your shekels so that I could have a piece 
of the, the Word of God. Anyway, you'll hear more about that next week. Today, uh, we're going to talk about one of the questions that I'm asked most often, without a doubt, and that is, how do I get into heaven? Or how does a person get into heaven? Which is a pretty weighty question, isn't it? Now, it can be asked uh, a lot of different ways. You know, what do I need to do to make God happy? How do I become a part of God's family? How can I make sure that God's not mad at me? But however it's asked, it's a weighty question. Uh, I'm not sure there's a more important question. How can I make sure that when I take my last breath here on planet Earth, and it is, you know, the one appointment we all keep, death, When that appointment comes, how do you make sure that your next breath will be in glory with Jesus? Now, the Bible's crystal clear on how you you get to heaven, but unfortunately, the enemy has made sure that there are a bunch of bogus teachings out there that mess people up, that confuse people. Let me give you four of the big ones, and they're all demonic, okay? First one is you have to earn your way to heaven. Some people uh, teach, some churches teach right here in our own town that you have to earn your way to heaven. You have to put some effort into it. You have to work hard at following a bunch of rules and regulations. And at the end of your life, if you've worked hard enough, you know, God will say, you know, come on in kind of a thing. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul was addressing the Jews who believed this. They basically taught that you had to keep the law. You had to keep the Ten Commandments. And if you, you know, kept the law, if you obeyed the law, then you know what? You were golden. You you, you got in. Now, some people teach, some churches teach a hybrid of this. They believe that you need Jesus. But then they also say that After you've received Jesus by faith, if you will, now you have to keep working at it to keep it. In other words, yes, you need Jesus, no doubt about it. They they, they can't get away from the cross. They can't get away from Jesus hanging on the cross. And so obviously they're going to tell you about Jesus, but then they're also going to add into it the idea that you now have to work hard to keep your salvation. Number two, uh, another demonic teaching is this, is that you have to go through some sort of ritual to get into heaven. Some people teach this. Some churches teach this right here in our own town. Maybe it might be baptism. Maybe it might be communion, confirmation, circumcision. Once again, the Jews thought that you had to be circumcised before you could ever get into heaven. And once again, there are some people, some churches in our own town that teach a hybrid of that. That yes, you need Jesus, but that ain't enough. You also need to be baptized. You also, uh, you know, you, you need to serve somewhere. Yeah, you need Jesus, but you need to speak in tongues. In, in other words, Jesus isn't enough, but there has to be something else that would go uh, 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 along with this. Uh, number three, you have to belong to the right group to get into heaven. This would be salvation by uh, affiliation. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm an Assembly of God. I'm a Jew. I go to Big Valley Grace. I'm an American. In other words, you have to belong to the right group. 
And if you belong to the right group, then somehow that punches your ticket and you get to go to heaven. I was talking to a man the other day who attends a church that basically teaches that if you don't go to their church or belong to their denomination, you ain't getting into heaven. Now, it's once again kind of a hybrid. Yes, you need Jesus, but that ain't all you need. You also need to be a part of our church, of our denomination. Number four, you don't have to do anything to get into heaven because everybody gets to go there. This is called universalism. The idea is that God's a God of love, therefore God would never send anybody to hell, so everybody gets to go to heaven regardless of what they do, regardless of what they say, or regardless of what they believe. Rob Bell is a universalist. Most of you probably don't even know who he is. Henry Nowen was a universalist, and it's a very evil teaching. Very evil, wicked, blasphemous. Beloved, the Bible clearly teaches that you get to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The clear message of the Bible is that not everybody's gonna go to heaven. Now God wants everybody to go to heaven. But the clear message of the word of God is that not everyone is going to go. Only those that have put their trust or their faith in Jesus Christ will go to heaven. That's the message of, of the Bible, not faith plus hard works, not faith plus baptism or circumcision, not faith plus being a part of a church or denomination, just faith in Christ alone, period. That's the clear message of the Bible, which means it's the clear message of the book of Romans because Romans is in the Bible, you see. Paul says this in Romans chapter three. He says, so we are made right with God by being baptized. No. So we are made right with God by being circumcised. No. We're made right with God by belonging to the right church. No, we are made right with God, how? Through faith. Not by obeying the, the law, not by obeying the Ten Commandments, not by living by a set of rules and regulations. It's simply by faith. Only way you get into heaven is by faith, by trusting in what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. Remember the, the very last words of Jesus when he died on the cross? Just think about it. Very last thing he said. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In other words, he died. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he said, it is finished. And then he died. Beloved, when Jesus shouted, it is finished, this wasn't a cry of despair. This was a cry of victory. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he wasn't saying, I am finished, because he wasn't finished. Three days later, he walked out of the tomb, proving that he was who he said he was, and that was God, which is what Easter is all about. Jesus said, it is finished. The question is, what was finished? What did he mean? What's the it? And all of us who name the name of Christ need to think that through. 
When he said, it is finished, the very last thing he ever said while he was on the cross, it is finished, we ought to think that thought through a little bit. What was the it? Well, the Bible says this in John chapter 4. It says, in the meantime, the disciples were begging Jesus, teacher, have something to eat. But Jesus answered, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples started asking among themselves, man, could somebody have brought this guy a burger? I mean, what is he, what is he talking about? My food, Jesus said to them, is to obey the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work that he gave me to do. Beloved, this was the one and only goal of Jesus. This was his mission, if you will. He came to obey his Father. He came to finish the work that the Father gave him to do. So when he was on the cross and he yells out, it is finished, he was saying the work that the Father sent him to do down here on planet Earth was finished. And that work was to shed his blood on a cross to make it possible for people to have their sins forgiven and thus spend their eternity in heaven with Jesus forever. In other words, when he said it is finished, he was saying that the redemptive work was finished. He didn't say, man, it's almost finished. You just have to be baptized. He didn't say, wow, it's close. It's almost finished. Just join the right church. He didn't say it is almost finished. You know, he better... Keep the law. He said, it is finished. The redemptive work is over. The work that the Father sent me to do to seek and to save the lost, it's over. It's done. I've accomplished it. I've now made it possible for people to have their sins forgiven and thus be able to spend their eternity with the Father forever in heaven. Now, in our text today, Paul uses uh, a very effective teaching tool to reinforce this truth, the, the truth that we're saved by faith alone, and it's called an illustration. <laughs> he uses two heavyweights that every Jew would have known, and that was Abraham and King David. So in the first three chapters of Romans, he lays out the problem, and that is sin. We've all been impacted by sin, every one of us. And now he's moving to the solution to the problem, which is faith in Christ. And he's now going to use two unbelievable heavyweights to prove his point. So let's read Romans chapter 4 together, okay, or at least the first few verses. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. 
David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. And now he's going to quote Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is the, this blessing only for the Jews or only for those, uh, or, or is it also for those uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Now let me give you a quick thought or two on Abraham. Let's stop right there, okay? He was the father of the Jewish nation. Verse one tells us that clearly. He was, he's our forefather. He was the original Jew, if you will. Through Isaac, Abraham's son, the Jewish nation was born. Abraham was uh, actually born in the city of Ur in the Mesopotamian Valley. And in Ur, Abraham was basically a moon worshiper. Okay, that's what they worshiped in Ur, the moon. But one day... The one true living God spoke to Abraham and said, Abram, I want you to pack up all your belongings and I want you to take your family and I want you to move. And Abraham said, where are we going? And God said, I'll tell you when you get there. That's kind of basically how it went down. And simply on faith, Abram moved. He didn't know where he was going. He simply believed God. He, he trusted in God. He had faith in God, and he packed up all of his stuff, and he moved. Just by faith. And think that one through for a moment. Yeah, Luke and Amber moved, and they knew they wanted to go serve the Lord, but at least they knew where they were going. They could Google the place, find out a little information about it. God said, Abraham, I want you to move. Pack up your stuff. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. And by faith, he just believed. Packed up his stuff, put it on all the camels, man, and just moved out. Paul knew that Abraham was the perfect example to prove to the Jews that would be, you know, reading this letter and to us today that you're not saved by works or by rituals or by anything else, but that you're simply saved because you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, just like Abram put his trust and his faith in God. So back to my original question, which is the title of the message. How does a person get into heaven? How do you get into heaven? How, how, what do you need to do to make God happy? How do you become a part of God's family? How can you make sure that God's not, not mad at you or whatever? Well, our text gives us a, a, a couple of thoughts, a wrong way and a right way. Look, look at verse one. The first thing I wanna point out is this, is God's way into heaven has nothing to do with doing good things, okay? That's the first point. Getting into heaven has nothing to do with doing good things. Verse one says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. That's not God's way. 
It's, it's demonic teachings way. It could be human's teachings way, but it's not God's way. You could be saved by doing good things or by being circumcised or by joining the right church or whatever. If you could be saved by any of these things, then you could brag about it when you got to heaven. Could you imagine heaven? If we could get there by doing good things, man, we'd all be up there, hey, what's your name, Bill? Hey, Bill, how'd you get here? Oh, man, I gave a lot of money to the church. Wow, that's super cool. What's your name? Pa you know, uh, uh, Paul. Well, how'd you get here? Oh, I got here because every uh, Tuesday, you know, I went down to the gospel mission and I served. Fantastic. Hey, Julie, how'd you get here? Oh, I got here. Uh, I don't really know why. I didn't believe in anything. But here I am. Heaven would just be filled with people bragging about how they got there. And there would be Jesus standing over there with bloody hand, you know, hands and bloody feet and a bloody head. And they could all look over and go, boy, what a waste of time that was for you to go to the cross, second person of the Holy Trinity. Boy, your father really made a bad mistake there because we all got here on our good deeds. Could you imagine that happening? No! How ludicrous is it to think that somehow you could think that your good deeds, your good works, being a part of the right church, or just anybody gets there, regardless of what they believe, you know, would be accurate. How horrible would that be for the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, to have come here and died such a horrific death and yet we're all there because we just did good things. It's just a crazy thought. You might be able to impress others with how good you are down here on planet Earth. You might be able to impress others about how long you've been a member of Big Valley Grace or the Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church or whatever. You might be able to impress people with that but it doesn't impress God. Your sin still makes you guilty before God. Ephesians chapter two says salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Now, don't misunderstand me. God wants his people to do good things. but that's not what our text is about. Our text is about how we're saved. It's the solution to the problem of sin. Yes, God wants us to do good things, but you're not saved by doing those good things. You're never gonna be able to stand before God and say, hey God, man, I was a member of this particular church. Man, I... I, I, I listened to Pastor you know, Rick preach for 20 years. I mean, that might get you some sympathy. <laughs> I, don't even know what that, I don't even know what that means. But it ain't gonna get you into heaven. Okay. So the first thing that Paul says is that God's way into heaven has nothing to do with good things. The second thing he says is, is this, n n number two. God's way into heaven is through faith. Through faith. 
Verse 3, for the scripture tells us Abraham believed God. He put his trust in God. He had faith in God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith, his trust, his belief. Some of your Bibles use the word credited there. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the word credited is a a bookkeeping term. It's an accounting term. It literally means to compute or to calculate. Paul uses this word 19 times in the book of Romans and he uses it 11 times in chapter four alone. And here's how it works. God calculates our sin. Here all is. He's, He's putting it into the calculator. And then he calculates what Jesus did on the cross, and then he computes it together and says, one cancels out the other. God looks at our sin, and then he looks at what Jesus did, and he calculates them together, and he says it's even. God looks at the debit column at our sins and the credit column at God's righteousness through Jesus, and the books balance at the end. So here's all my sin. And there's lots of it. And by the way, I continue to sin. Down here, this side of glory, I sin. And it's all stacked up. And God's got the first big supercomputer. And here's all this sin. And then he looks over here and he goes, wait a minute. You know my son. Bing! Even cancels everything out. Has nothing to do with my good works. Had nothing to do with being a a preacher. Had nothing to do with going on a mission trip, putting money in the offering. But it has everything to do with my faith in Jesus, period. God calculated the sin of Abraham and then he calculated in Abraham's faith and one canceled out the other. Now James also uses Abraham as an illustration. In chapter two, it says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? God had told Abraham, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. And guess what Abraham did? He believed God. He took his son, put him on a thing, and he's ready to sacrifice him. He was gonna do it. He just believed God. God, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. This is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But if you've asked me to do it, it doesn't matter whether I get it or whether it makes sense or not. I'm simply going to believe you. And you know, he pulls the knife up, ready to do it. And God says, hang on there, Abraham. Once again, God was able to see his faith. He was able to see that Abraham really did trust him. You see, James goes on, that his faith was in Uh, and his action were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see, I could stand back there with my friend Mark and I could sing that song we sang in the beginning. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God because I was circumcised. No! (laughs) 
I'm a friend of God because I put my faith like Abraham did in God. And at that moment, I became a friend of God because my sin that had separated me from God was canceled out. Done. Now in verses 4 and 5 of our text, Paul gives us another uh, uh, illustration. Look at verse 4. He says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. The people are counted as righteous. That's the word credited. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Think about this. You go to work, you put in your 8 or 10 hours a day, and then at the end of the week, your boss gives you a paycheck. Do you consider that a gift? No, it's not a gift. You put in a certain amount of time and energy and you received a certain amount of benefit. It's it's not a gift, it's a wage. It's what you deserved. The Bible says this in Romans chapter six, the wages of sin is death. Okay, we get our condemnation the old fashioned way, we earn it. And that word wages right there in the Greek is an accounting term once again. It simply means here's what you have earned because of your sin. We, we go to work, we put in our eight hours a day, our 40 hours a week. If you're making, you know, 10 bucks an hour, you know, you made 400 bucks. The government comes along and takes a bunch of it out and gives it away to other people. But you earned a wage, you see. You got a wage. It's what is due you. When you get your paycheck from your boss, you don't have to say thank you. It might be a nice thing to do. It's what you earned here. You earned it. And what the word of God says is, here's what you have earned. Death. It's yours. It's the paycheck of life. It's the paycheck because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam chose to blow God off and sin. We've all earned it. But there's a free gift available. You earned the paycheck of death. You earned the paycheck of physical death and more importantly, uh, spiritual death. You earned that because of your sin. But the free gift of God, it's a free gift. If somebody says, hey, I got a free gift for you. Oh, great. Whoa, 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 you don't get it. Go mow my lawn first, and then you get it. Go work for it. It ain't a gift. You're working for it now. God says, I got a free gift for you. It's yours. It's eternal life. And you get it through Jesus Christ. It's free. He offers it to anybody. Now, there's a lot of people who don't take the gift. And Rob Bell and Henry Nowen are wrong. You're not going to heaven if you don't take the gift. You gotta take the gift. If you don't take the gift, God's not gonna say, well, you didn't take the gift. You didn't believe in my son. He went through all that rigmarole for nothing, but I'm gonna let you in anyway. No, it's a gift. You've gotta take the gift. And it's free. Let me give you a a couple of interesting bits of information about Abraham that are really interesting. Abraham lived, 
Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay, all the way through Malachi. He lived, so he's born here, 400 and plus years, about 430 years later, Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Okay, now some of you are thinking. He's born... Genesis 15, God says, you're right before me. Because of your faith in me, you're now right before me. 400 plus years later, the law comes along. Abraham was made right, obviously, by not keeping the law. He couldn't have kept the law. Why? The law doesn't come around for 400 plus years. So the Jews that said, well, you got to keep the law to be made right. Well, wait a minute. How did God say that Abraham was made right? He lived 400 plus years before the law was given. It's his faith. And let me give you one more piece of information. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham's about 85 years old. And God says, because of your faith in me, because of your belief in me, because of your trust in me, you're made right before me. We've become friends. Then you get to Genesis chapter 17, about 14 years go by, and it's there that God institutes circumcision. (laughs) So Abraham, Paul is blowing the Jews' minds. They had to be going, you know, I hadn't thought about that. What Paul is telling the Jews to do here is have a Bible study. Study your Bibles. Abraham was made right before God long before the law was given and long before circumcision was instituted. This was just... An unbelievable moment, I'm sure, for the Jews that were reading this. That you are made right with God by not circumcision and not by keeping the law and all those things. You're made right with God simply by your faith. Now in verses six through eight, Paul is now gonna bring in another heavyweight. He just used Abraham. Abraham would have been like the, the George Washington to the Jews. And now he's gonna bring in the Abraham Lincoln of the Jews. I mean, he's, he's, he's pulling in the, the big guys here. And he says, David. <laughs> These are just the two great heroes of all the Jews. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, amen, whose sins are put out of sight, praise God. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared up. And this is um, Paul or or, uh, King David confessing to his sin, the sin of sleeping with somebody that wasn't his wife. David had a huge sexual appetite. It was out of control. It was a a, a sin that just nipped at his heels and he sleeps with a gal by the name of Bathsheba. Bathsheba wasn't his wife. Bathsheba was married to a guy named Uriah, a great warrior, if you will, for for King David and his army. And uh, Bathsheba gets pregnant. 
Uriah's out there, you know, on the front lines fighting. He calls Uriah home and he comes up with a scheme. Hey, if I'll, I'll get this guy to sleep with his wife and then, you know, he'll think it's his baby. <laughs> that didn't work. And so he gets him drunk. That didn't work. And then finally, David hands Uriah. Imagine this. Paper probably had the seal of the king on it. And he knew, he knew Uriah wouldn't open that. He knew it. He was a good soldier. And the king had handed him his marching orders. You take this, Uriah. You, you, you take it to the captain. You got it. He knew he wouldn't open it and read it. That's, that, that's how righteous Uriah was. And in here, what David gave him was his, basically his death orders. And David has Uriah killed. You can imagine the guilt he was feeling over the sexual uh, uh, sin of Bathsheba, the sexual sin of trying to deceive Uriah, and then ultimately having Uriah killed. This guy was goofed up. And so in Psalms 32, he says, oh, what joy there is, right? And the forgiveness that there is in God. And how do you get that forgiveness? Did David have to run around and do a bunch of stuff to be forgiven? God forgave him when he confessed. He just believed God. And God forgave him of his sin. It was simply an act of faith that forgave David of his sins. He didn't earn it. He certainly didn't deserve it. He simply, by faith, believed that God would forgive his sins. John chapter 1 says this, He, that's Jesus, came to his very own, uh, to the very world that he created. We call that Christmas. He was born in the town of Bethlehem. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, even came to the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him, all who put their trust in him, all who, who put their faith in him, who humble themselves and, and repent of their sin and say, Jesus, I believe in you, he gave them the right to become children of God. It's all about your faith. Now here's what tends to happen. Okay, and I'm landing the plane here. Many Christians start out by accepting God's forgiveness as a free gift. Yes, I, I, I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm not earning it. And they give their life to Christ. By faith, they just believe God. But then they begin to think, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I've got to earn God's favor through my works. They start off one way, and then they slowly go over time, you know, begin to think that I've got to do something. Yes, I believe. I received the free gift, but now that I'm a Christian, I've got to earn God's favor. And the only way to do that is by working hard to read my Bible or, or memorize scripture or serve at the church or by never missing church or by, you know, never watching TV or by never putting on makeup or whatever it is. We got this whole list of things that we think we have to do to somehow, you know, keep God's favor. 
In fact, one of the sad things about the church in America today is that it's known for all the things we don't do. And we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do this, we don't do that, and we're not known for the things that we do do. The holy and righteous things that we do do. I've told you this before, look, I don't care. You can get rid of your, your TVs in your home. If you, God puts that on your heart, do it. Get rid of your TVs. If you believe that that's something that you ought not have in your home, you don't want to expose your kids to whatever, get rid of your TVs. Just don't expect me to get rid of my five. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't put that template on me. And that's where we tend to go. Here's the list of things I don't do, and you better make sure you're not doing them either. Listen, you're saved by your faith. Now, here's the deal. Some of you can say, well, in that case, pastor, then I'll just go out and live however I want to live. I'll just go out and sin. Try it. Hey, dad, you ever have one of your kids say, hey, I don't care about your rules. I'm going to go out and do what I want to do. What happened? They were disciplined, weren't they? Every parent here has had a kid. I'm going to go do my own thing. You want me home at 11? Guess what? 12. They knew you loved them. They knew you cared for them. But they blew you off. And they paid a price. They were disciplined. And God will do the same thing for his people. You're his child. You want to go out and live contrary to what he says? Have at it but God will discipline you because he loves you. Just like any good father or any good mother disciplines their children. Doesn't stop God from loving you. See, the thing that motivates us to live holy, godly lives is the fact that we're just simply saved by our faith. (laughs) Don't deserve it. That's the thing that motivates us. Colossians chapter two says, now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. In other words, just as you accepted him. How was it? You accepted him simply by faith. Now God says, that's how you follow him, by faith. Don't add anything to this mix. You accepted him by faith. Follow him by faith. Follow him that way. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And then he adds this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ You see, as I said in the very beginning, there are churches in our town, there are people in this town, you can watch them on TV all over the world, you can listen to their podcasts, they got radio stations who who teach some very evil stuff. Oh, they'll tell you you need Christ, but then they're gonna add in something. It's a, it's a, a, it's a way to take it captive, if, 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 if you will. 
some sort of empty philosophy or some high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking or demonic thinking, but it doesn't come from this. This simply says you're saved by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Over in the venue, wanted to stand. Everybody in here stand. And Father, I, I just want to thank you, Lord, for today. And Lord, last night, it's just great. Lord, I, I love coming to church. I love fellowshipping with my family here. Thank you for the music, beautiful, sacred music. Thank you for those that were baptized last hour, the one baptized today, those that will be baptized next hour, Lord. Thank you, God, for a chance to hear from Luke, uh, one of our missionaries on the Not Ashamed video, Lord. And most of all, thank you for, for sending your son, Jesus. You made it possible for, for us to have our sins forgiven through a, a, a relationship with him. The Bible is crystal clear. Romans chapter four is crystal clear. We're saved. We get to go to heaven simply through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks, God, and I pray this in your name. Amen.